This episode of Living Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals from startups to some of the largest companies in the world like Amazon, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, Goldman Sachs, Google, J.P. Morgan, Meta, and more. Blind's mission of transparency seeks to break down professional barriers and silos at work so that you can make productive change and advance your career. It's a safe space to ask questions and get the real-time insights and perspectives from people who know what you've been through. On Blind, you can connect and have honest discussions about everything from compensation, company culture, performance reviews, promotions, and more. You can also join your exclusive private company channel to chat with your coworkers about company policies and what's really going on at work. And because it's anonymous, you can be honest and trust what you read on Blind. Download and install Blind from the App Store or visit TeamBlind.com to get access to the latest salary, company reviews, and interview experiences at thousands of companies worldwide. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and we're back. Listen, I am so excited about today's interview with Cyber Rao and Regina Jackson. I'm so thankful and appreciative of their candor, um, their their bravery, frankly, their resilience, their honesty, and their accessibility and availability. If you haven't already uh, been familiar with Race to Dinner, make sure you click the links in the show notes. We're going to talk about the organization. I'm not going to give away the interview. I just want to make sure that y'all are plugged in and ready for this conversation. Also, listener discretion is advised. Uh, there will be profanity used. You know what I'm saying? Frank conversation. And um, and shout out to the trolls. Like, you know, our first interview did crazy numbers because folks came out and found our YouTube, even though we don't even promote our YouTube, um, found our YouTube, <laughs> start making a bunch of crazy comments. So welcome back. Thank you for the engagement, helping our, our numbers and our stats. And again, I want to thank Syra, Rao, and Regina Jackson. Let's go ahead and get to this interview, y'all. When you're building a culture of belonging, every word counts. That's why Textio brings the world's most advanced language insights into your hiring and employer brand content. Our industry-leading approach to artificial intelligence and machine learning provides the tools needed to find more diverse candidates. In short, Textio builds more equitable workspaces, guiding businesses and writing more inclusive job posts. And we're building on that success by bringing even more products to the market for all people who share our belief that language matters. Words have power. And at Textio, we harness that power to increase the access and availability of value-driven work for everyone. Living Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity helps over 2 million medical professionals. We are the largest medical network that includes over 80% of physicians and over 50% of physician assistants and nurse practitioners. We don't take that responsibility lightly and committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. If you want to learn more about Doximity, check out your app store at D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. That's D-O-X-I-M. I-T-Y. Ira, Regina, what's going on? Good morning, Jack. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, you everyone. 
guess it's pretty early in Denver, Colorado. Well, you know, I, I appreciate it. Appreciate y'all coming back. I remember the first time we had you on, and it was like the first time I had to like put a like an advisory, a content warning because y'all cuss so much. It was funny. I I enjoyed it, um, and I, my audience did too. And then it helped us on YouTube a lot too because like the trolls were going crazy. They was like they were they were oh, so yeah. upset. Yeah. Um, um, I, I mean, <laughs> so the first time we spoke, we had you on, talked about race to dinner, where y'all invite these white women to these dinners and y'all charge them a bunch of money and y'all just tell them how ridiculous they are. You know, I, I find that, I find that business model so exciting. Like I was talking and I talked to my mentors about it and we laughed and I was like, I was like, I just think that's just such a, that's such a great, that's such a great org. That's such like a great way to. This is a great work. Like, I mean, I have no notes. I was, I remember, I, I, like, literally, I would talk to my friends about race to dinner, and I talked about, and they listened to the interview. Again, it's one of our, it's still to this date one of our like highest, most engaged conversations. Talk to me a little bit more about, like, for the folks who maybe didn't hear the first interview we had those years ago. Why do you think race to dinner and like that concept can, like, was successful and can, and I'm, I, I presume that it, it's continuing to be successful. Can I just um, say one thing? I want to tweak. Thank you, first of all. I want to tweak just how, um, like, the tweak definition it. of what we're doing. So, you know, I think that the media has had a heyday with us making a pile of money. Regina and I haven't paid ourselves. So I just want to be clear. Like, we are not making a pile of money. So uh, we're not, I wish that we were on our yacht right now. Yeah, really? We're not because <laughs> yeah. we don't have one. Um, and so I'll just, you know, be frank. We, we pay, we, we charge $5,000 for a dinner. That's for eight to 10 white women. Um, in all in just our actual physical time, we're there for two hours, but the amount of preparation and also the, what goes into it afterwards, the white woman on our team has a full hour zoom. So all in, I would say there's six hours worth of active work involved. Plus, they're put into a mighty network where they can be part of a community forever after this, right? So if you actually break that down, we are not making much money. We're, we're not even covering our costs, really. So I want to say that, number one. Then you go and Google and see how much Robin DeAngelo and Glennon Doyle are charging for 35-minute, 45-minute talks, $30,000, dollars $50,000. So that's the first bit of white supremacy is, you know, we are grifters. We are getting rich off of this. Um, number two, you know, I think in early days there was a sense that we were like trying to shame white women, you know, but what we're actually doing, and I, I think this is why we have staying power, you know, we're now, it's 2022, we have a book, yes. you know, coming out in a month, we have a movie out called Deconstructing Karen, it's actually white women talking about their own white supremacy and their how their racism shows up. And we're there to not let them walk away without talking about that. That's why they're there, right? But because they are actually acknowledging out loud, just like a man, you're a man, Zach. You understand what sexism looks like because you are you are yep. institutionally I a benefit sexist and engage in the patriarchy that way. Every day. It's true. Um, yes, and so. Uh, it's it, white media has has portrayed us as shaming them when in reality all they're doing is speaking about the toxin that's been put into their bodies and they're getting it out they're getting out and that's very scary to the white media because if white women actually stop caping 
for whiteness and join Regina and I in a true sisterhood and choose gender solidarity over white solidarity, the whole thing goes away. It's over, right? So I that that's I just wanted to reframe like that's awesome. what we're doing. Yeah. You know, most in this society, Zach, one of the reasons why we are where we are is because we've never had honest discussions about racism. They never happen because no one wants to tell the truth. No one wants to out themselves. So we make it a safe space for white women to acknowledge, yeah, you know, this goes on in my head. This is my behavior. I do these things. And so it's a safe space. You know, I'll say this is 100% agree that like, the narrative of for you two and race to dinner. If I'm, if my YouTube comments are any uh, indicator as well as just what I see on socials. And then what I've seen in like different, you know, like blogs and stuff is y'all come in, y'all wrangle up these innocent, sensitive, delicate white women (laughs) and (laughs) y'all beat them over the head for hours at a time. And y'all pocket like $300,000 for a couple, for some chips and some pickles and and y'all do it again, right? Y'all got a mansion in California right now uh, that that y'all meet in every day. Like, you know, and so I I think I appreciate, I do appreciate, um, and I I was tongue in cheek a little bit about, you know, whatever, but I do appreciate like tweaking and level setting in terms of just what is actually going on. I think something else, something else y'all are saying that I also resonates with me is, this idea of of um the aversion of shame right and even having a conversation having the conversation are being synonymous with shaming somebody really speaks to um how deep the roots of just hate go and anti-blackness and white supremacy and the patriarchy go because you know i in real life, I didn't think y'all was coming in there slapping women, white women across the face over some chicken. I, 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 but I, but I figured it was probably something of just like really direct conversation. And I, I think about uh, Dr. Uh, Tim Okun and like the whole white supremacy culture uh, work that she's done, and that the idea of like right to comfort. Y'all are really challenging the right to comfort, right, in these conversations. But it's not like you're kidnapping them; they show up. So, like, let's talk a little bit. Of, They sign up, actually, Zach. They contact us. These women self-identify and say, I want to have a dinner. And then from there, Lisa, our resident white women, helps them fill the table. Okay. But this is them coming forward and saying, I want to do this. And I want to do this with a group of friends that I have or acquaintances. So this is all self-identified. I think because it's so organic is another reason why it works. So, you know, it's interesting because still in this diverse equity inclusion space, white women, I don't believe, and look, I, I operate, we all have our own biases, both conscious and unconscious. All of us do. I don't believe that white women are, are held account, held accountable, um, in the same degree or in the same like space. And it's more, it's nuanced because white women do suffer under the patriarchy, not in the same shape or degree or form that black or brown women do. Um, But 
when you think about like in terms of like the the privilege pyramid or the power pyramid, I mean, white women are right next to white men. I would argue yeah. now there probably are some white women who would say, "Well, no, you as a black man, you benefit. You're you're more privileged than me." And I would say that's insane. But people do think that. Um, I'm curious, like. What do you believe, like, why do you believe it is that white women continue to kind of, or like, and again, I'm kind of, we're praying with a broad brush, speaking just to more to like the groupings. There's almost like women, white women and black and brown people, black and brown women, queer, queer, black and brown folks, they're kind of all bundled together. And like, it doesn't really ever seem as if white women are called out in their own lane, like white men are in like workplace equity like why do you think that is though well you know they don't have any accountability even throughout history white women excuse me have very little accountability for the violence the hate and everything that they have caused and created and you know the biggest one that everybody knows is Emmett Till you know this this woman is still alive and will never have any accountability for the murder of a 14 year old child And I think the reason why is because, you know, white men are the ones that we see perpetrating the hate, the violence, the burnings, the lynchings. But white women are there pumping them up. You know, Zach, it's interesting. Um, People will use that word nuance. And um, I would I would push back. I think that. Oppression's pretty clear, and the hierarchy is pretty clear. And white women, sure, that's our whole, you know, theoretical framework. White women absolutely suffer under patriarchy, no, no doubt, right? But what you both just pointed out, it's it's white men at the top, right? And it's black women at the bottom. That's the that is the hierarchy, and then the rest of us are floating around, right? It's 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 not nuanced. So the, the foundational sin and it's pr- past, present, and future is white supremacy. That's it, right? So let's go back and see what white women were doing during chattel slavery, right? Let's see what they were doing. And it's the same thing that they're doing now. And for white women, which we hear all the time too, yes, um, you know, they're oppressed by, they, they, they share oppression with black men and brown men. That's just, that's ahistorical and that's a lie. That's a lie, right? That's, it's also true that you have male privilege. And my husband, who's an Indian man, has male privilege. But uh, it, it's just ahistorical, right? So white women, as Regina said, they're white men on the throne. And white women are holding it up, polishing their shoes, providing children, training their children, setting the whole thing up, right? Who is, who is packing their lunches as they're off, you know, burning flags and whatever, killing people? And... Let's be clear what's happening right now. White women are largely at the forefront of this battle in our schools around wokeness. They're the ones doing all of, not not all of it. And let's also see where white women were, you know, during, um, you know, around abortion. Like white women are largely to blame, to be blamed for the end of Roe versus Wade, you know, and and, and, and all sides, Democrats as well. Like, why didn't why hasn't Congress in the 40 plus years that we had Roe versus Wade codified it? Why? You know, so I think white women, there needs to be a real come to Jesus here 
in terms of where they've been in the past, where they are in the present, and where they're leading us right now. And Regina, why don't you tell Zach, I mean, I think a great poignant example is what you just experienced when you were picking up your granddaughter from school the other day. So Zach, I am a grandmother and my youngest granddaughter is a kindergartner. So I pick her up from school two days a week and care for her. And I went to pick her up on Tuesday and uh, the class, the class files out and uh, there was a little African Muslim girl. She was uh, very brown skinned uh, and had on a hijab. And, you know, all the little kids want to hug and say goodbye to each other when they go home. So she went to hug a little white boy and he wouldn't let her hug him. He ran off to his mom. So I was standing next to his mom and I said, that's really mean. I said, you shouldn't let him be mean to her like that. So the mother tried to send him back over to hug the little girl, say goodbye. And he'd get halfway there and he'd turn around. He'd get halfway there and turn around. And he finally, the little girl went and sat at the picnic table. And he went like three feet from the table and said bye and then ran back to his mom. And I, you know, I was like, this is where it starts. This is where it starts. And it's that young and it's always little white boys, but there his mom is not, and his grandmother was there too. Let me say, neither one of them had a conversation with him about that's not how you treat people. You know, neither one of them. So there we have the little white boy doing his harm and the white women allowing it. And not making eye contact with you or talking to you, right, Regina? Right, right. Didn't acknowledge Regina when she said that. Yeah. I mean, I think this is like a really good segue to talk about y'all's book, right? Um, you know, I know that it's just recently um, re- recently been uh, published. Um, it's it's out actually in a month. November 1st. Yeah. You can order it now. You can pre-order. And please, everybody, pre-order. Uh, but it actually comes out November 1st. So... The title of the book is called Everything You Already Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better, White Women, mm-hmm. uh, Regina, by Regina Jackson, the cyber route. So talk a little bit about like, I mean, I, I want to ask what inspired this book, but I feel like this feels like it's almost <laughs> like a culmination of the work that y'all have already been doing. And frankly, exactly. all of the informal and formal exactly reading. I would think so. It's us yeah. documenting the months of nonsense that we see and hear from dining with white women. You know, it, to be successful as a, as a non-white person in this society, <clears throat> you have to be able to engage with white people. You have to know them better than they know themselves. You have to be able to protect their feelings and tiptoe around all that nonsense. So what we did is we put it in writing. Yeah. And, and the title kind of says it all. It, it, it acknowledges openly the gaslighting. So you already know it. You already know it because white people created white supremacy to benefit white people. And then to, until it doesn't, right? Let's be clear. White supremacy hurts white people too, until it doesn't. Uh, but it, it's extremely offensive and it's called gaslighting to, to ask us to explain the system that you created, that you benefited, that you benefit from at our demise right so it, the equivalent would be like william shakespeare writes romeo and juliet 
and, and yet is confused by it. So asks all the readers to please explain to him what Romeo and Juliet is. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So we are like the feigned ignorance is foundational to white supremacy mm-hmm. and the damsel in distress, not understanding what she's done. There's a reason oh, we added, uh, there's a teardrop on the cover now. And so when white women cry, right, there's this, uh, an old saying, when white women cry, a black man dies. But mm-hmm. also white women cry in all sorts of scenarios. I cannot tell, I mean, not just at our dinners, but the amount of white women who start crying when I will have a actual conversation like this with them in real life, you said this, you did this. Oh my God, either, either flat out denying it when it literally has just happened. I bet you if Regina goes and says to this mom, white mom or grandmother, I can't believe that you didn't look me in the eye when this happened. I can't believe you didn't have a conversation with your son, grandson. One of them would probably just flat out deny it, just gaslight her out front. And the other one might just start crying and just say, you know, we didn't mean that. And blah. that's what they do, right? That's what they do to make us look like we're angry and crazy and to become the victim. So white women have weaponized their whiteness to become victims out of the gate. If they're, quote, accused of of being nasty to a black or brown child, being nasty to a black or brown woman, whatever, whatever it is. And so this this book methodically and in fact, there's a review that just came out. We're getting these early reviews and nobody is more surprised than us by the, the lavishing of praise that's coming from white institutional media. We got a starred Kirkus review, which is like the holy grail of publishing book list, just called it cathartic. And another white woman on Instagram who got an early copy said, my God, they know us better than we do, which is literally what Regina just said. You have to. To survive, you have to. To thrive, you have to. Yeah. And, And we must say, just so you know, that's the only rule we have. You cannot cry at the dinner table. We have the hostess prepare a room ahead of time where if you feel like the tears are going to come, you remove yourself from the dinner table and go in the crying room. I, I'm really curious. Like, do y'all feel like y'all get Brene Brown to review the book? She hasn't responded to us. So if she's listening, uh, she hasn't responded. We would love to have Brene Brown. We would love to have Glennon Doyle. We would love to have any of these white women who have built empires around this stuff to actually read and blurb our book. You know who did blurb our book, though? Two famous women, um, multiple famous women, but just in terms of white women, Anna Paquin and Chelsea Handler. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, That's you know, awesome. Thanks to them. But no, Brene Brown, crickets from Brene Brown, crickets from Glennon Doyle. So we'd love them. You know, I, as I think about this, right, like, it's just, it's so challenging. And, like, it's one of the... It's one of the conversations that I have like on and off mic with living corporate so often around with white women who say, I mean, do am am I part of the problem? Like there's a lot of Yes, the answer is yes. Right. There's a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> There's so much like, you know, it's pro- and and there's you can just you, there's a genuine sensitivity um and for and I'm not going to use the word fragility because fragility implies some sort of like innocence uh, or gentleness but real brittleness i would say around just even like engaging content and learning subject matter around hey here's here's the things that you're doing that are actively harmful you're not like a passive participant you're an active you're an active participant in some of these behaviors um let's talk a little bit about your documentary um and and where that came from 
And 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 I, and I also I think before I get to that though, what does it look like to manage y'all's own mental health? Like because the attacks that y'all get in like mainstream media, um, and I would say like that 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 just like right under mainstream media, like y'all are often like just one of the one of the key things folks love to just harp on and pick at. What does it look like for y'all to just to get? To, to, for this to not be long-term damaging to y'all's mental wellness and health. Like, I'm really curious about that. Well, I think for me, because of the age I am, see, I'm, I'm a baby boomer born in 1950. So, you know, social media to me is not even real life. <laughs> I said all the time, y'all get off of social media and go have a conversation with somebody. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm going to say something, I post it and I never go back to look at it mostly because I can't find it, but I'm not really that interested in hearing what people have to yeah. say. Um, you know, it, I, I've largely, I've, I've, I've gotten to this point in, in terms of media, social media, where I'm, who cares, right? Um, you know, unfortunately, it's actually very much part of my in real life, too. I've got two school-age kids, so I have to actually engage with a lot of white parents who by and large for the most part not all white people hate me um Mm -hmm. and so the good white liberals don't ever um speak up and i'm i'm a dime a dozen there any any bipoc person who's talking about racism anti-racism gets this so i'm just one person right uh but it sucks i mean i've got to go to one of my kids back to school night tonight knowing that there's a crew of white families who have actively tried to ruin my kid's life at the school. That's not awesome. That is not an awesome I wish I could go, thing. Syrah. I wish I could go. Yeah, it's just not a great scenario knowing that white teachers and staff and faculty and leaders know that this is happening. Um, so it's it's a it's not great. I mean, it's not like uh, I, but but mental health wise, I typically feel okay. But that's because I work on it every day, and I talk to Regina every day, and I go for I'm like Forrest Gump of walking. I, I walk like 20 miles a day and I have a therapist and there's a lot of work involved (laughs) in it, you know? Um, But I want to also say language, you know, you said white fragility. That's actually, that's a very like nice way of saying white supremacy, microaggressions. It's not micro, it's macro and it's white supremacy. The, the kind of abuse that we take offline and online, these white parents I'm talking about and the people on social media, I want to start shifting our language. They're terrorists. They're terrorists. So yes, they we are. are on the receiving end regularly of terrorism at the hands of white people and um, and tacit terrorism on the at the hands of silent white people. White people and yeah. it's not awesome. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. That's number one. Number two, I do want to go back to, um, you know, white women having a hard time talking about their shit. It's not nuanced. I talk about my institutional anti-blackness. So all my oppression is based in white supremacy and anti-blackness, both. So until and unless we can acknowledge where we sit in the ecosystem and how we've all been trained, we've all been put through the sausage factory, all of us. And when you've been put through the sausage factory, you come out a sausage. And the kind of sausage you are in this country primarily is this color of your skin. Right. So part of a big part of my work is rounding up South Asians and Asians more broadly, because we've all been lumped together as Asians. What do Indians have in common with Japanese? It's hard. I don't know. But 
um, is coming to terms with how we too have subjugated black people, indigenous people and ourselves. So when we are acting, I just, I posted a video on Instagram that came out of love life of an Asian guy. If anyone's not following him, please do. He's an amazing Asian anti-racism activist about um, a brown skinned Asian guy with blackface making fun of black kids who are looking at the little mermaid video. And so what that guy, he thinks he's doing something, right? This Asian guy thinks he's really doing something funny, but not only, not only is he committing violence against black people, black children, he's committing violence against himself. Hmm. And, and that's what I'm trying to like work with my own community. And if I can say this out loud, if I can talk about my anti-blackness, why can't white people, you know, and that's, what's amazing is white people, We'll talk about, oh, Syrah's anti-black. Look at Syrah and Regina. Regina's like, everybody's anti-black. Everybody's yeah, really. Black people know it. Yeah. So I want to start there. I want to be clear. Like, I'm, I'm doing my own work on dismantling my own anti-blackness, my own casteism, my own Islamophobia. I've got work to do as well. So I, I'm not throwing stones. I think that's the other piece, though, that, like, it's... <clears throat> that sensationalized like sensationalists will get will mischaracterize or just miss or intentionally or whatever is the idea of like this work to create a more equitable world is not about saying i'm perfect and you're wrong yes it's about talking about the the place that we all the roles that we all play relative to our privileged position etc and in these systems that oppress people right like like i could stand up like and say, okay, yep, I can speak to anti-blackness and these realities. I can also speak to again, like my role and participation in the patriarchy as a man, as certainly as a straight black man, a straight presenting man. I could talk mm-hmm. about like and the role that black men need to play in being better uh, co-conspirators and allies with black and brown women, with trans folks, particularly trans black women. Like there's everyone has relative privilege that they participate in in some way. The ableism, which is like we. That is never that is not engaged and discussed um, in the same degree as race and gender and di- diversity, equity, inclusion conversations, neurodivergence, all these different things. So, I-, I really love that that you're speaking to again, like we all have something that we can learn and pick we can pick from. I think there's like this deep like just discomfort with the idea though that some of us are more privileged than others, right? So like, so I know that there's been times I've had conversations and um, oh. Did Sarah? Okay, cool. Oh, there's okay, is. great. I just no, I just wanted to make sure. I just want to make sure. I, I um, she didn't disappear just for me. Okay, sorry. We see that you're back. Okay, um, so I'll pick up and just say it's interesting though that I do believe there's deep discomfort, especially when we talk to white folks about inequity and oppression and things of that nature. Because mm-hmm. yes, we all have relative privilege, and white people have a disproportionate amount more than everyone else. And so it's not a, Hey, we're all wrong. We're all good. We're all bad. Like, no, 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 no. like, well, yes, there are things that we all need to work on. And here's a core challenge and problem that you've had. Right. So like, that's a, I think that, that, that I believe continues to be a hurdle. I I do want to get y'all's perspective, you know, on this moment we're in, right? Like we're recording this. This will be out towards November. Um, we're coming up on a, it's an, another election cycle. Um, there's all this tension again around restrictive um, 
abortion rights and just healthcare access, mm-hmm. voting rights continue to be stripped away and undermined. How do y'all feel about the future of, I don't want to even go super broad and say like the future of America, but just like the future yeah. of like the workplace for black and brown folks and like, and this moment, because I don't believe that like the D, the diverse equity inclusion space is really taking into a healthy and responsible account of all the things that are happening today. And so I'm curious to get y'all's perspective on like, where, where do you see things going as we look at like 2023 and 2024? Well, you know, I have to say whatever happens in this election, it's going to be a mess. Whoever wins, it's going to be a mess. Um, The election is going to be challenged. We're going to have different groups saying that the election, it's going to be a mess. So I think we need to prepare ourselves for that. The other place that I stay, Zach, is doing what I can. You know, I can't let the enormity of the world's grief, Mm. you know, I can't let that keep me from doing what I can in the moment. So that's how I approach it. And I have to keep that on my desk because it's very easy to get discouraged, you know, to say, oh God, ain't it awful, ain't it awful, ain't it awful. But as a human being, I can do my part. You know, I can be just, I can be humble, I can be loving. So that's where I come out. Uh, I would take issue with the word diversity. And that word back to language you know we have to start really interrogating this stuff uh diversity means it's default white so when people talk about diversity what they mean is people who were on this call you know right we're the diversity um and that's true for diverse books that means non-white diverse characters non-white so what you're saying is the default is white mm-hmm. and and it's diversity mm-hmm. so it's it's white centering so i take issue with the the, the word and and from my understanding, I don't I don't work in corporate America anymore. I used to. I used to work on Wall Street. Um, is that it's DEI is a lipstick on a pig situation, and you're trying to you're airdropping black and brown people into a white institution without decolonizing the space, and you're making it very hard for us to be ourselves. So it means that our hair has to look a certain way. We have to speak in a certain way. We have to be aligned in a certain way. Um, and I think it's a mess. Like Regina said, politically, it's a mess. It's a total mess. And um, by mess, I mean racist. And I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse until and unless we extract the toxin of white supremacy from our culture, from our cultural DNA, corporate America workplaces are going to be horrible for black and brown people who don't want to just completely succumb to white supremacy culture. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And that's why we're hyper-focused on culture. We're hyper-focused on hearts and minds. You know, that doesn't mean that we don't vote. We That's a necessary but insufficient, you know, thing. You have to vote. At least I, I mean, I will always vote. I, I understand why people aren't. So I'm not, th- I'm not throwing stones at those people either. But that's just, that's the floor. That's not the ceiling. And um, I'm feeling pretty scared about what's, you know, it's pretty bad as it is, pretty bad. It's horrible as it is. And what's to come is going to be much worse. Yeah, I mean, and I didn't I didn't ask looking for um, votes of comfort or confidence. Um, I, I, I do agree that, like, as we just look at this landscape, it's really concerning. 
Um, and, and it's also just, it it's tough to, it's tough not to lose hope. I will say though, to Regina's point, I really appreciate that, which is like, Hey, like we can't internalize all of the external nonsense happening around us like that. Cause there's, it's just too much, right? It's like trying to swallow the ocean. Like that's just, it's, it's not possible. Um, and at the same time, like Syrah, to your point, like these fears are still really valid and these concerns are really valid. I think about like, I have a two and a half year old, I have a daughter on the way. I have, I'm thinking about the future for them and the future for my nieces and nephews and my sisters and, you know, just every other person that isn't me. It's just a, it's a terrifying season. I, I guess let's, let's wrap with this. Let's say if you were to have um, like the, the 10 most powerful white women in the world in one room and you could tell them three things, um, what would those three things be? Number one for me is when you see and hear shit, use your white power to stop it. You know, there's no reason in the world why I, as a black woman, have to confront a white woman over her nonsense when there's a bajillion white people standing there. Use your voice. And I always say, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? Well, somebody may hurt your feelings, okay? Get over your feelings and do what's right. Number one. (laughs) I would say, yes, absolutely. So I would say step one, um, start seeing yourself as a racialized person because until and unless you start seeing yourself as a white person rather than just a person um, or, you know, my Indian colleague, my black colleague, and then there's my colleague. We all know what that poly- the third person is white, but they're just a colleague back to diversity. So until and unless you see yourself as a racialized person, you can't do step two, which is acknowledge your white power, acknowledge your white power. If you're not acknowledging your white power, you are actively upholding white supremacy Step three, once you've racialized yourself, put yourself on the ecosystem of where we are. Number two, therefore you acknowledge white power. Step three, start using it. Start using it for good. Uh, Start speaking up. Start shutting down when other people are being openly racist. Start speaking up. And that could be if you're a parent. That could be if you are a Starbucks barista. That could be if you are the prime minister, for example, of New Zealand. Or if you are the speaker of the house, or you are the you know head resident in a hospital, or if you are a professor, start speaking up. But you can't do that until and unless you acknowledge the power that you hold as a white person in the society, which is massive, massive power. White people were not interned during World War II in this country. The Italians and the, the white Italians and the white Germans were not interned. Who was interned? The Japanese. So let's just be clear about this is a this is a White people were not, um, you know, they were not slaves during chattel slavery. White people were not beheaded and killed, you know, for their land. They're not, you know, let's just be clear. The Department of Homeland Security was not started to prosecute and criminalize white people. Operation Wetback was not about white people. So start acknowledging your place in the ecosystem and start doing something about it. Using your power. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading all this stuff about Brett Favre and taking all the welfare money and just all this nonsense. That happens. White men do that shit because they are seldomly held accountable. You know, if 
are no consequences. You're going to keep doing what you do, which is steal, pillage, rape, rob, and create havoc for the rest of the world. Yeah. So Regina and I are the grifters, right? Charging $5,000 for a dinner. But Brett Brett Favre and Jeff Bezos, actual billionaires and and emergent trillionaires, are just hardworking, you know, meritocracy. It's just amazing. It's actually just amazing to me. It is. We should do like a like a bonus conversation about like the nonsense of like how when when black and brown people come together to like charge any amount of money that isn't like a dollar people go nuts and it's like you know i like we're we can look around and see people dropping 50 60 80 90 thousand dollars a few million dollars on all kinds of things right the economy of the economy of scale for black and brown folks is so like it's exponentially smaller and so much more scrutinized which is also a function of white supremacy so exactly they say ever since we stopped working for free we're lazy yeah right that's right so I would even say a dollar would be too much. You said a dollar. <laughs> they think they're no, doing us a favor by even wanting to talk about race. We should be paying them. We should be mm-hmm. paying them. Don't don't get me started on all these brands that reach out to live in corporate asking for free promotion and free this and free that. They want me to interview their executives Ooh. or promote their white only organ all white executive team for free. No. Um, and then and then and then ask to pay us back in exposure. And that happens all the right, time. Right. Right. You know, right. especially for black exposure. creative. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. What is that? I yeah. can't pay my, I can't, can't, I can't, um, Emory don't wear exposure diapers. You know what I mean? I got to, <laughs> I need, I need real money. You know? Thank you. Exposure diapers. <laughs> well, I know. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my head around when the purses start costing thousands of dollars. <laughs> Listen, um, y'all, I've really appreciated this conversation. I know it took a lot for us to coordinate. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Um, and I want to, and I want to make sure I encourage all of our listeners to check out not only the book, so order it pre-order, like get it, get it. Sign, like, get it sign on up and, Amazon come bookshop on. or come on. penguin random house. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And deconstructing Karen is a documentary. If anyone is uh, it, in Canada, it, premieres nationally in Canada on the CBC tomorrow night and it's doing the film festival circuit in the U.S. right now so we'll be in the Bay Area October 9th um, so anyone in the Bay Area come see us on October 9th we'll be there come on now and we're going to have a talk back after the film so come on now look deconstructing can- like I'm so excited because there isn't enough content out there actively and accurately calling out white women's participation and not only white supremacy, but the patriarchy also. So I'm really thankful for y'all shout out to race to dinner. Y'all don't even know, but race to dinner actually has um, like a, like a spotlight on living corporate's website where we, where we have y'all's interview because we really just appreciate y'all all for the love. Thank Cause you. I just know you're absolutely welcome. Um, and we'll talk to y'all soon. Okay. Y'all make sure y'all learn Great. about race to dinner. Click the links in the show notes. We'll catch you next time. Peace y'all. And Zach, I'm rooting for everybody black. Come on now, rooting for everybody black. All right. I'm rooting for you too. I'm rooting for you too, Syrah. Thank you. you know, so I got Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye now.
and we're back. Listen, I want to thank Cyber Rao and Regina Jackson. I want to thank the Race to Dinner team. I want to really shout out all the incredible work they're doing. If you haven't checked out the documentary yet, make sure to click the link in the show notes to learn more. Make sure to click the link in the show notes to check out their book. All right. And make sure that you're you're pre-ordered and that you're plugged in. Um, they are phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal women. I'm thankful for their support of Living Corporate. And I'm always honored to support anything that they got going on because uh, they're brilliant. And listen, I think the last thing I'll say before we wrap up is if the truth doesn't make you a bit uncomfortable every now and then, then it probably isn't the truth. We're in this era right now where lies are becoming more and more embraced in the name of seeking and wishing to gather up power. Power is not the end goal. It cannot be the end goal. Power for power's sake cannot be the end goal. That is fascist. That is terroristic. uh, And it's terrorizing, right? Like we have to honor the truth, even when it's unpopular, even when it's uncomfortable. And if your message, whatever your, whatever your, wherever you're at, whatever your message may be, if it's alienating marginalized people, if it is speaking and seeking to reinforce oppressive narratives on already historically oppressed people, if it is dividing or further exacerbating already inequitable systems, you're probably on the wrong side of that message. Okay. Shout out to the entire living corporate team. Make sure you give us five stars on Apple podcasts. Share this with a friend. This has been Zach. Catch you next time. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Living Corporate is brought to you by Textio. Today's top talent is everywhere, representing everyone. And our work environment should reflect the level of inclusion to meet that standard. Textio achieves this in building more equitable company cultures through the language we use in our job postings. That culture is formed one hire at a time, making the words we use to reach more diverse candidates all the more important. Our advanced language insights and employer brand content is what drives our mission of inclusion. Through our industry-leading application of artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're able to widen companies' reach in finding and building upon the very diverse talent that empowers a culture of belonging. Every door should be open to every qualified job seeker. Again, that's Textio.